Happy Father's Day, neighbor. Happy Father's Day. Yeah, it's a uh, family tradition. Wear your Father's Day gifts all day. You wore that to church this morning? Indeed I did. Yeah, it was cute when they were kids, and now they're just trying to humiliate me. Get out. I wish I could. But humiliation is their love language. So, how about you? My teenage daughter got me a coupon for a mani-pedi. I love a good mani-pedi. No, you don't get it. She wants me to take her to get a mani-pedi so I can pay for the mani-pedi. Hmm. Can you take that baby tie off, please? That, that's what's bothering you about this ensemble? I just can't talk to you with it on. How about your boy? He got me a Love Me Tender trout. Fish me tender. Fish me sweet. <laughs> Ever let me go. Well, those sound like good gifts. Do they? You did not go to church dressed like this today. Yeah, I guess. Hey, listen. As fathers, we try to provide. We communicate with grunts more than we do words. We leave the toilet seat up as a conscious act of rebellion. And we don't complain about our Father's Day gifts. That's a father's lot in life, my friend. It's not the gifts. It's, it's really not the gifts. See this? My daughter gave this to me for Father's Day when she was five years old. She said to my wife, Mommy, I need to get Daddy the best gift ever because he's the best dad ever. She even wrote here on the tag, Happy Father's Day. She cuddled with this thing every night until she gave it to me. I was this little girl's whole world. One year they're getting you chair stuffed animals and then in the blink of an eye, it's pedicures and fish. They just grow up so fast. I just want to know that my role as a father matters before it's too late. I am going to get that fish a reservation to Heartbreak Hotel. Our pastor this morning at church said, um, Scripture, a child's glory is their father. Mm. That sums it up. That's all I want to be. I just want to make my kids proud, encourage them. Just be the man God called me to be. Hey, Dad. <laughs> Duty calls. Hey. You are your kid's glory. Your daughter, she's not looking for a freebie. She's saying she wants to spend time with you. And your son, he thinks you have a good sense of humor. I am pretty sure that your kids still think you're the greatest dad ever. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Hashtag dads are awesome. Hashtag dads are awesome. Dads are awesome. So happy Father's Day. Yeah? So our, our leader team were having this discussion, and, and some of them brought up the fact that 
for the last several years on Mother's Day, moms have been getting these beautiful flowers, and this last year, these lovely roses, and that guys weren't getting anything on Father's Day ever. So I said, well, what do we get them? I don't think dads want roses. And they said, Slim Jims. <laughs> so I'm going to just pause for a moment. If you're a dad today and you didn't get a Slim Jim, we've got some folks ready to give you one because you're going to want that in a few minutes. So if you don't have one, just raise your hand and we'll toss you a Slim Jim. If you're, you're a dad, you didn't get one? Okay, keep looking. Help Jim back here. He needs one. Jim needs a Slim Jim. Help him out. That's great. So after our team meeting, one of the ladies in the office said to me, are you really going to give Slim Jims? That is so tacky. <laughs> I said, exactly. And besides that, it's protein. <laughs> Guys will use that tonight as they watch the NBA playoff game and the Keelan Cavaliers beat the Golden State Warriors. You, you'll, you'll be there. You'll watch it. You'll eat your Slim Jims and... It'll be good stuff. And then, and then some of them said, you know, let's give a grill. So as you came in the door, you, you saw a grill, and everybody's going, dad's going, I get a grill? Well, here's how this works. If you've ever watched the Academy Awards and, and, and somebody wins, a, a, a team wins, the whole team comes up, and there's just one person who actually gets the award, and everybody else is excited because they feel honored, that's what's going to happen today. So what's going to happen, dads, is that we're going to honor you, and, and, and at the end of the service, on the Slim Jim, there's a little ticket there, and we've got a copy of that ticket, and we're going to make, just draw one of those tickets out, and, and somebody, one of the dads here is going to get a grill, and all the rest of us collectively are going to go, well, thank you. That is so awesome that he got a grill. You good with that? Yeah. Now, now, now here's, here's, here's the little qualifier for that. If you happen to be the person who gets the grill... What you have to promise you do that within the first four weeks of owning that grill, that you have to invite five other guys from this community of faith over for burgers. Are you for that? All right. If you can't do that, don't take it. All right. That's what we're going to do. So Psalm 103 is written by a dad who happens to be a king. And he is describing this litany of all these expressions of the way that God loves us. And then he brings all of those ways into this one image. And here's what he says, Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So as we begin to unpack this, as we begin to describe this image that God has designed to reveal an immense expression of his love. For some in this place, it might create sadness for you this morning. You might be sad because you didn't have a father like that. Or you might be sad because you were not a father like that. I'm going to encourage you this morning to allow that sadness to be swallowed up by this, this flood of love from God who invites every single one of us to be just smothered, if you will, by his fatherhood. For the scripture says this, to as many as receive Jesus, to those who call upon his name, he gives them the absolute ability and right to become a child of God. That's the kind of love this Abba, 
the scripture calls him, this daddy love has. And, and one of the best ways I can describe this love is I call it a bear hug love. And so this morning, we want to thank God and we want to thank dads for the bear hug. And now the bear hug is, is different than other hugs. You may have hugged people during the five-minute greeting, and, and a lot of those were really nice, polite hugs, and they were, were minimal hugs, and some of you don't even want to be touched, so you just kind of scoot it out of the way. Uh, there's the sideways hug, and then there's the bear hug. And, and, and Cleet, can I borrow you a moment? And, come on down here. And I just want to remind you that you are not my chiropractor. <laughs> but I want you to give me a bear hug, okay? Give me a bear hug. All right. Thank you. See, now that is a bear hug. That's an all-in hug. In reality, when it's meaningful, it is the heart of the hugger embracing and surrounding all that is in the huggy. The psalmist called it compassion. That word compassion actually has, has the base word of pity. And it means this, that I take all of who I am and I surround you completely with who I am because you absolutely need me. In fact, it is so so ultimate and so surrounding that God the Father says that I love you so deeply and I surround you so much by my love that I actually have your names tattooed on my hand because I take ownership of who you are. Therefore, nobody else that's not on my hand gets the benefits that you get. And you are in the front of the line. You are the front for protection. You are in the front for attention. You are in the front for my selection. That you are the apple of my eye. That when people see you, they see you as the apple of my eye, meaning this. And literally it means this, that you are so close to me that you can see your reflection in my eye. That's how close we are. And it is so incredibly obvious that I love you with this bear hug type of love. That kind of love for dads looks something like this. that bear hug love. When, when Pam and I were, were gone from you a couple weeks ago, uh, we stopped outside of Denver, Colorado to be with our daughter who, by the time we got there, she was two weeks overdue on giving birth to our next grandson. And, and when I first saw Christy, it, it's really difficult to do a bear hug with a woman who's two weeks overdue <laughs> and not insult her in the process. 
But I grabbed her and I just held her. And the thing about a, about a, a bear hug is that it goes beyond just the regular hug, the regular love where people would just embrace. It's, it's when most people would stop, you just make it a little bit tighter and, and you hold and really, really tight to say, you know, this, this, is, this is better than, than anything else you've got because, because we are so close. We're built for that bear hug love. We absolutely need that. We crave that. And the great thing about that kind of love is that we know that it has no expiration date. It's one of the most amazing stories Jesus ever told. He said that there was this this son who decided to rebel against his father and his rebellion was so intense that legally the community had the right to take him out and stone him. He rebels, he leaves home, he wastes his savings, he, he breaks, he just breaks his father's heart, he insults his, 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 father's, his, his father's integrity, he brings disdain on his reputation. And eventually when the son is despondent, when he's destitute, when he's desperate, he looks to one place. Where's my dad? Because I think inside he had this, this understanding, and the, the story says that he was going to rehearse this deal and go find his father and say, even my servants have it better than, than I do in, in this destitution. I find myself so, so here, I'll be your servant. But I, but I think he knew that there was this bear hug, this, this love waiting for him, so that while he's afar off, the father sees him, the father runs to him, and the first thing the father does is bear hug him. Don't miss the picture. This kid has messed up royally. And there is this great temptation that when you see him, you go, see, I told you. Let's rehearse all the stuff you did. In this kind of love, the bear hug comes long before the life correction. That here, my messed up son has come back home. Because the father understands what the psalmist then says next when King David, this dad, says, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. So let me ask you a question. What is God made out of? God is made out of God. What are we made out of? Dirt. He is perfect. We are what? We are imperfect. We're going to mess up, and our dad knows that. Scotty and Melissa are visiting with us, and they've just, how, how old is the baby? Six weeks. You know, that baby's going to mess up sometime. Are you ready? More than once. They know that. You know that as parents. But it's interesting that this father did not enable his rebellious son in his rebellion. He didn't bail him out. He didn't keep sending him money when he ran out while he was in his rebellion, hoping that somewhere, somehow, he'd finally figure it out, that his frontal lobes would get in place so that he could actually make a good decision. He let his son fail. He let him feel the consequences, but at the same time, feel the hug. 
because the dad knew that the rebellious spirit had to break, but the spirit needed to be intact. That's why Paul, Paul the Apostle wrote, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Dads, our task is to shape confident sons and daughters of God. There's enough imperfection in them that we're going to let them feel the pain of wrong choices and the joy of the right choices. The stubborn will needs to be broken. I remember that our, our youngest son, after seven years of rebellion, came to us and said, I'm done running. I said, well, what happened? What, what, what took place? And he said, I have realized that I cannot run God and that he'll let me get more miserable and more miserable until I stop. He says, I know. He said, I, I know that if I keep going, I could end up in jail and he'll let me go there. He said, I've, I've had it. I'm done. The stubborn will must be broken. There needs to be confession. I have been this person and I've been wrong. Because until there's confession, the person is still living, that son or daughter is still living in that rebellion. And then there needs to be this, this turning around. There needs to be this repentance that it says, okay, I'm going to go another way. And when the will is finally broken, the spirit is very tender, and it must then be nurtured. The prodigal did not meet his father in this way that the father then debriefed him in a negative manner, saying, okay, look what you did. Can you believe what you did? I told you I was right. So, so you go live in the barn for a year, you, you loser. When Paul said, don't discourage your child, discouragement is when you find that there is no hope, there is no future, there is no, there is no way to go from here, that you're stuck in the way that you've been and you'll always be remembered that way. This dad is not emphasizing his failure. This dad begins an immediate rescue of all the God stuff that's still in there. And then what he does is he says, I'm going to put you in a place where that can be nurtured. I'm going to put you in a climate, in, in a fertile ground that will grow that, and it's called family. So he said, welcome back, and you are still my child, and you still wear my, wear my ring, and you'll wear sandals because you're not a slave, and you wear the robe of the family. I've got you. You are here right now, and you're part of the family, and you have hope for a future. We should avoid, fathers, fathers we should avoid everything that ruins our kids' confidence in God. Not just in their, their, not in, in their own abilities, but their confidence needs to be in who they are in God. That's which will give them hope and courage for the future because it will stay with them. So at age 33, Pam and I decided that, that God was telling us to go start a church with no guarantee of income and with three small kids and just sensing that God is saying that. And, and we, we were praying and talking to our parents and our parents are helping. And my dad's saying, you know, if this is God, then we're with you and we're going to pray for you. We can't give you any money, but we're going to pray for you. And so six months into this, we hit a, a, a crossroads where the whole thing can fall apart. And I call my dad. 
And I said, Dad, here's the deal. And he said, well, let me, let me, let me just tell you. you got a couple options. If you feel that you shouldn't go any further, it's going to be detrimental to the family and what you think is right, then, then we'll get a truck, we'll come up and get you, we'll bring you back to Sacramento, California. And you can live here for a while, and you can find out where God wants you to go from here because he will take you further. Don't you worry about it. This is not failure. You can hear God. He's going to get you where you need to go. It's going to be okay. He said, but if you decide to stay, I'll guarantee you that God will get you through this if this is what God wants. You've got to decide, but you will make it, and we're with you whatever we can do. We stayed, and what he said was truthful. That even at age 33, I could say, thanks, Dad, for courage to face failures and to face the future. So when I think of my dad, I think of go-karts in the rain in Estes Park, Colorado. And what I learned, began to learn at that moment, was that you don't give up so easy, there's always a way. And so we went, he promised us, okay, we'll, we'll go to the go-karts, we'll go to the go-karts, we'll go to the go-karts. We got to the go-karts and it started to pour down rain. And the, and the guy that's running it said, well, it's raining and you're not going to do this. And my dad, my dad surprised me. He said, well, sure we do. We can do this in the rain. Can't we do this in the rain? Now, he said that because my mom was not with us. <laughs> she was back at the trailer. So we jumped in the go-karts and began to ride around the track, and it was wet, and it's throwing up mud and all that rubbery stuff off the, off the tires, and it's just coating us, and we're get, we look horrible. But we're just having so much fun riding around and skidding around, and people see us, and they start coming, and, and they get on the track, and our time is finally up. We pull in, and the guy goes, no, 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 you're bringing in business. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. <laughs> and we rode, and we rode, and we rode, and we rode. What a moment. When I think of my dad, I think of, of crabbing out in the, in the outer banks and him teaching us to face our fears because he, he said, okay, so we're going to walk through this high grass and down toward the water. And, and he said, so we're going to make a lot of noise. We're gonna, I said, well, why are we making noise? He said, oh, to run the snakes away. I said, snakes? He said, oh, we'll be fine. And sure enough, we were. When I think of my dad, I think of him coaching our championship softball team, a bunch of young guys taking on all these mature men. And, and he taught us in that moment that when a team works together, they can do so much more than what you think they can do. When I think of my dad, I think of Sunday mornings and nights going to church. Where I stood by him and he would know the issues I'm dealing with and he would say, Tell us, we're going to just worship God, and, and he's, he's going to talk to you. And here's how you're going to hear him. And he would, he would teach me how to listen to God. And then, and then he's, we would go because the community was so great. And on Sunday nights, it was really cool because after every service, people my age, we'd all go, we'd head out, and we'd go get pizza or whatever else. And he said, the community is really important. Stick to the community because they'll take care of you. And I learned that. See, my parents didn't put a whole lot of money in stuff for us. There are a whole lot of people that a whole, had a whole lot more than we did. But you know what they invested in? They invested in moments. So King David goes on and reminds us, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, and the wind blows over it, and it is gone. So the winter rains would come down and, and hit the brown hills of the Middle East, and suddenly there would be this green grass and these, these extravagant flowers. And the psalmist said, but... but but enjoy them now because soon they're not there. The psalmist is saying it's the same thing in your life. Whatever the moment is, 
Get into it because it won't be there all the time. Mark Batterson says it well when he says, don't accumulate possessions, accumulate experiences. Our lives are not measured by minutes. Our lives are measured by moments that make the minutes stand still. And dads, we're responsible to make sure that those moments come around. There's this, this great tradition in the, in the first century where kings would leave their city and before they would arrive to where they were going, they would send out this, this party of people responsible for making sure that the passageway was safe and that everything was prepared for when the king arrived. And Jesus takes that tradition and he turns it upside down. Paul the Apostle wrote it this way, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. It is not the king who we are preparing the way for, but he says the king of kings has gone before you and prepared a way for you, the right place, the right time for you to enjoy the things that he has prepared for you to enjoy. Dads, we are to set up the strategic moments for our kids to find those moments where they can discover what life is about and enjoy life and enjoy the God who created life. Those incredibly defining moments. So my dad was always trying to teach us things about life and about relationship with God. And, and so he was beginning to tell us about this whole idea that if you listen, God will show you what to do, where to go. And we're living in, outside of Syracuse, New York, and one day, they gathered the family together, and my dad said, your mom and I have been, been praying, and we feel like God has told us to move to Springfield, Missouri, because God has something new for me to do, and we believe we really heard him, and we're going to move, and we didn't want to move. We loved our schools. We loved our friends. We loved the neighborhood, and we always began to cry. You can't do this to us, and he said, and then he bribed us. He said, I'll get you horses. I said, great. Who wants this old neighborhood? Let's go. So my dad was raised in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and, and part of the, what he did growing up was breaking horses. So he knew horses. He knew how to do all that stuff. And, and so he, he, in the area, he found someone selling a quarter horse and a pinto and a trailer. And so sure enough, we all packed up, and we got ready to leave, and we're hauling this trailer with horses in it. And we're thinking, yeehaw, here we go. So we drive down and stay overnight in Jamestown where my grandparents lived, and my dad got out and looked at the trailer and discovered that the tires on the trailer were rotted and the rubber was peeling off. So he went into, a, he went into a, a, a place to buy tires and discovered that these were really unique tires and they were incredibly expensive. And we didn't have any money. And so he's just thinking, God, what do I do? He's praying. And, and, and so just in, in, in what would be a God thing, but in his frustration, he said, but I just sell everything right now. And some guy standing close by that was a customer said, how much? And so my dad told him, and the guy bought the whole thing right there. So my dad came home happy. He said, hey, I'm going to tell you, God answered our prayers. And I sold the horses. We said, that's not an answer to prayer. That's cruelty to children. <laughs> and my dad said, no, look, I know you're, you're, you're disappointed, but I understand that God will take care of us. So let's just watch and see what he does. So we, we moved to Springfield, and we went to church that next Sunday. And the, and the first Sunday, the first family we met were Jim and Joyce and their five kids, and they were our ages. And they invited us out to their house. We went out to their house. Their house was on a farm. And guess what they had? Chickens. 
You ever ride a chicken? <laughs> they also had horses. And they said, you can come ride whenever you want to. My dad's thinking, great, I don't have to take care of them. This is good. And then, then they walked over and they said, oh, let's show you the rest of the farm. And they had this huge swimming pond with a diving board and just so cool. And then later, I got to date one of their daughters. See, God takes care of everything. <laughs> thank God for those defining moments. And thank Dad for finding those defining moments. So as Pam and I were visiting our daughter, and, and, and she gave birth, and we had opportunity to, to hold Sebastian. I read this week this promise, and it just hangs so true in my heart. The psalmist continues, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. He said that kind of love will go down not only to your kids, but it will go down into your grandkids. But for that to happen, they've got to see it. They've got to experience it. And when we see a good father, we see a picture of God's love. We were designed to display the fatherhood of God. So I have, I have a lot of memories of, of living in Buffalo, New York, and, and I was in early elementary school when we lived there. And in our backyard, we had fruit trees. We had apples and pears. And back then, there were no child labor laws, so we had to pick up the fruit. And they, they would get rotted, and we'd put it off, and then we'd have to go clean up all, I mean, a lot of, a lot of this fruit, and we had, it was mushy at times, and it just, it just it was no fun. And, and then one day, my younger brother Jay and, and my sister Jeannie and I, we figured out that if we threw the fruit in the neighbor's yard, we didn't have to deal with it. So in the back of our yard was a fence, and we started throwing the stuff over, and Jay climbed up on the fence and was throwing some stuff. When the neighbor came home drunk... He got out of his car, saw what we were doing, picked up a pear that wasn't, wasn't very soft, it was hard, and hurled it at Jay on top of the fence, hit him in the head, and knocked him off the fence. Jeannie screamed and ran back in the house, and just in a matter of seconds, Hurricane Dad came flying out. It's like he never touched the ground. He went to, went to Jay, made sure he was breathing, he was okay, because... From that point on, we realized that Jay would, would always be hurt and he'd always be okay. <laughs> and then my dad, just he was like Superman. He just put one hand on the fence and with one bound, he was over the fence and had the, the drunk neighbor pinned against the house and telling him that he would never touch his child again. We're going, Dad, Dad's great. Later that evening, my dad gathered us together and he asked our forgiveness. He said, you know, the way I responded, he shouldn't have done that, but the way I responded was not correct. It was not like the way that Jesus would respond. So he said, I just want to let you know that I went back over, talked to our neighbor, told him that I was sorry, asked his forgiveness, and then I told him, whatever you're going through, Jesus can help you. You know, dads, one of the things we have to protect our kids against is an ugly culture. We know that. And we have to protect them against Satan, an evil, evil presence. And we have to protect them against their own sins. But the first priority is for us to protect them against our sins. And that's tough. 
Because you really want to be the hero. I can remember when I used to be my kid's hero. I could do nothing wrong. And then somewhere, I don't know what age it was, suddenly I became really stupid <laughs> and bad. It just happens because they begin to see that you're not perfect. And so I looked at my dad. I thought, wow. I didn't realize that. And, 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 and what I began to discover is that my dad had faults. In fact, after I became an adult, I remember one trip we were on, I had to talk to him about some things that I thought that he had placed negatively in my life. And we had to have this conversation. And he said, I'm really sorry. I never realized I had done that. I said, I want to ask your forgiveness for that. So I looked at this, and I, and I began to understand later the verse that Paul the Apostle would, would say that in my weakness, God's strength is made perfect. And I, and I saw the weakness in my dad. But then I saw also this vulnerability. I, I saw this transparency. And here's how it came across to me as I realized that he himself would agree to the fact that, that he had weaknesses, but that Jesus could take care of those weaknesses and make him a better man. And I, at that moment, I saw a God who also, even in my dad's failures, could love through him as he loved to him. And I realized in my own life that if that happened for my dad, then God can also love me and make me somebody better than I am. And that even in my current weakness, he still loves me perfectly. I'm still in that bear hug and he's making me a better person. Thanks, dad, for showing God to us. So dads are awesome. And that way, because Jesus made the statement, for God so loved the world, and I put it this way, God so loved the world, he gave it a bear hug. He said, first thing, I just want you to know how much I love you. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And that everlasting life then is this whole process of him changing the way that we live that is destructive to us. But he starts with the bear hug. And there, then from that point, he then says, okay, now I'm going to walk you through breaking that will and, and having you confess and, and having you begin to walk a different direction. And so I just want to say to us in this place this morning that if you're in a spot where you don't understand that love that God has for you, we go back to as many as received into them who called upon his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God says, do I forgive you right now? This loving father has such a great love, he just wants to bear hug you, and then he'll walk you through the change in life that needs to happen. But first, you've got to get absorbed in that love. And so at this moment, I just want to pray for you, and if, and if that's you, would you just inside just say, I want to be forgiven for my sins. I want to be reshaped. I want to become the guy that you, you designed or the woman you designed for me to be. So would you just pray with me? Father, I, I ask now that in this room, when we're dealing with all our faults and, and our failures and how we have messed up, I thank you that you promised that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all impurity. And so we tell you that we are sinners. We, we are imperfect, and, and we take your love right now. We receive it the way you offered it through Jesus and believe that you've forgiven us for our sins at this moment because that's what you said you do and that you make us your children. And so we are yours right now. And we give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?
And so for our conclusion this, this morning, we have a benediction for you, a unique benediction. And when that's done, you're free to go and enjoy your day. God bless you. Thanks for being here. See you next week. And now, as you go into your world, may you love your children like God loves his children. May you find your identity in being a son of the only perfect father. May you make it possible, make it impossible for your daughters to ever find a husband as good as their dad. teach your children that their mother is the most beautiful woman alive. She's really pretty. May you risk more, worry less, and play hard. May you lead your family, not as a king, but as a servant. Who protects their hearts, protects their hearts. Introduce them to a God, to a God that's already done that exact thing. We hope that you have a great day today. Great day today. Have a great day today. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day.